The Youthscape Podcast. Welcome back to the Youthscape Podcast. It's always such an excitement to draw you in to this little world. I, I imagine that people like plan when they're going to listen to the podcast. Do you? I do because I plan when I listen to our podcast yeah. and some of the other podcasts that I listen to. So I feel. Friends listening, I feel that we've entered a lovely ritual time with you and we want it to be rich, so may this be rich. Welcome, my name is Rachel Gardner and I'm sat with... Martin Saunders. How wonderful, and do you, very high. When you listen to the podcast, yeah. what do you do? What are you Well, I, I have you a doing? little ritual, so I take my daughter to school mm. and um, drop her off and then once I've waved goodbye, I'm like, yay, because my two-year-old in the back doesn't know that his mummy is listening to his mummy. No, that, that <laughs> so, would be dysfunctional. Yes, yeah, so doesn't know that he thinks I'm just listening to something so I drive around a bit and listen to it and partly is to check that everything's okay but I'm always quite interested to listen back to the flow of it and has it been any good and what were the guests like and was mm. Martin okay and is, you was know, Martin okay was Martin okay did he say anything over the line but I love it I just I just love it and actually there's a few podcasts I listen to that I look forward to hearing their voices and one of those is well, your own voice. No, other people, other people's, other people's podcasts. What are your other favourite podcasts? I'm, I am quite into Nomad at the moment. Right. And and I think partly because we did interview David yep. Benjamin Blow, who I call Edward Brenda, and what names I give him. Um, and it's their guests, actually. Their guests mm. are extraordinary. I love that. Love a bit of the Guilty Feminists. Love a bit of Women's Hour, Late Night Women's Hour. Love a bit of. And you're a revisionist guy. history fan. Oh, massive revisionist history fan. I mean, I'm, I'm a woman of my age, aren't I? So all the things that I've now named to you are quite wordy. They're quite mm. didactic. They're quite logical. So there are some fantastically creative ones out there, but I tend to go for the straight maximum. Give me lots of thoughts. Do you listen to podcasts? Uh, I listen to Gladwell. I listen to Revisionist History. Uh, there's been a couple of like short run podcasts like Serial, uh, yes, things like that, that I, I listen yeah. to. Um, I listen to a couple of things about screenwriting, just mm-hmm. just wistfully wondering about the career that might have been. Mm. Um, and then um, apart from that, not not really. Not a great deal. Maybe I think I need to spread out. But you sometimes feel you have your maximum number, don't you? Like you, this is. I don't. I don't feel like I day. have. I wish I had more time to input stuff into my life. Mm. I do so many things. I don't feel like I, I, I try and read books, but mm. it takes me forever. And I, I know I, the number of books that I get a third of the way through and just think, yeah, it's not worth it. No. It's not worth finishing. <laughs> you know, come on, Charles Dickens, do but better. Do, do you know what? One of my, there's a lovely teenager who came and stayed, she's, well, she's 19, 20, not teenager. She came and stayed for the weekend and she's just, she's doing a, a youth work degree. And I've, I've never done a youth work degree. So I'm always really interested when I meet people that, that are in the middle of it. And, and she has got so much reading that she has to do and she doesn't mm. really like reading. And mm. I was like, give me your reading. Like, give me your re- I'll, I'll do your reading for you. And I'll like put it into a few points because I, I absolutely, but I haven't huh. got time for it, but I would love to, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you love every week someone to go, actually read the sociologist, read this theologian, read, would you like that like, every week? Like some top stuff? I think I would. Yeah. But I just don't know where in my, in my life that would feel. Like I, I don't know, even watch TV anymore. But if you did have a time then, would you love that on a Monday morning? Someone was like, just read this chapter, read this. I'd love that. I'd I like, guess so. I guess to be able to, give, yeah. to be given permission yeah, to, to read. sit and read would be amazing. And I, was, I felt myself being really old. I was like, oh, you're a student. Like, do it. Go to the library. Enjoy it. Like, lap it up. Reading I so do think good. the challenge of non-fiction, yeah. not necessarily academic yeah. textbooks, but non-fiction is quite often 
you know the sort of like lifestyle we talked about lifestyle books recently I've written one recently so I need to be careful here <laughs> okay, <all right. laughs> um, but you've written one yeah. and um, you, you know sometimes you read these kind of pop psychology or pop sociology or Christian lifestyle books and you just you get 50 pages in and you think mm. I kind of got it now yes. I kind of got the idea gosh yes and yes. you just and now you're just repeating yes. the idea over and over again yes because also at the moment, I, honestly, I am, I'm a youth football volunteer. I know most of my stories about my son. But my two-year-old is refusing to nap unless he's in the car. So at the moment, my ritual of my day is that I drive for about three minutes, sorry environment, and he'll fall asleep in right. the car. And then I just pull into a lay-by and I can see the hills, like the Tropic ah. of Boland. It's really beautiful. And I'll on my Kindle, advertise lots of things, I'm reading, I'm like charging through. I just sit there in the car with him for about an hour. And I've come across so many books at the moment that I'll read three chapters and I think, that's a strong idea, but it's done. Like, yeah. it's, I've got it now. I've got, I've got your idea. That is like, the challenge. It's a real challenge. When people write books on a subject, which is a shame. that is quite narrow, it's, or they've not taken the time to really think. Like, actually, where's the other wisdom for this? Yeah. Like, this one book I've read is a brilliant idea around a prayer practice, and it's G. It's really good. But then it just ends up being lots more stories of him doing this particular thing. It's not the Pete Craig prayer book. It's, it's honest. Like honest, it's not. But I'm like, I want to know whether like that happened you know, in the Jesuit time or whether like, in, you know, the founding fathers are like, who? Mm. Founding fathers? What founding God? fathers? <laughs> what? Why do I do that? What are the founding fathers of America? Talking about founding fathers. So a while back, we had a Freshers' Week at the University of Oh, Mercedes. wow. Are you going to so segue into that? So I went to Freshers' Week and we invited like all these lovely freshers to come to like a free brunch, free food thing and, and a number of them came. And I was hosting it. And I was like, well, all these freshers are like new to Preston. I'm new to Preston. I'll, I'll stop late one night and Google Preston and find some really interesting facts. Nobody found them. Just in mud. Oh. Nobody found them. Did you find them interesting, Rachel? So, Cones, sorry, just spat it. Just spit on my face. <laughs> Literally <laughs> spat in my face. Flapjack. I nicked wow. a flapjack from a conference downstairs. That's how wow. Cones, traffic cones, were first used in Preston. We're the first place ever used traffic cones. What, and they, That's fascinating. Hang on, they didn't find that interesting. No. The first KFC in the UK was in, yes, you've guessed it, Preston. Wow. But when Mr. Kentucky Fried Chicken came from the States to visit the first one, he was taking to Liverpool because it was cooler. What? Yeah. So poor Preston. I've got, lo- I've got loads of stuff. I've got did, loads of you know, Laurel and Hardy. Laurel and Hardy did a tour of the north of England, didn't they? Did they do Preston? I don't know. That did not enter in my Google search. Maybe you should find I out because you that. could add that to your list, couldn't I'll you? I'll add that to my list. I've got some great stuff. I've got some yeah. great. And one of the founding fathers, this is the link back Oh, now. gosh. Oh, there we go. Thank goodness he you found it. He lived outside Preston for a little bit. Which one was it? Which one it was? Sorry. One of the founding fathers <laughs> lived outside Preston. You've spat on my face again. Rachel, this is, like, this is, this is not, sorry. not normal behaviour. You just spit on people. What is going on today? Oh, anyway. But I did want to talk about Freshers' Week. Oh, did you? I did. Because you and I do sometimes talk about when does youth ministry become student ministry. Yeah. And just, like, I feel sometimes you're a bit touchy about that. I feel there's, like, certain parameters where, like, if I begin to, like, if we talk about nine, ten-year-olds, you're like, oh, that's children's ministry. And if I'm talking, like, would you say that's fair? Yeah, a little bit. Because you're quite specific. Like, for you, what is youth ministry? What age group? Well, that's a difficult question. I mean... I think probably you're you're warming them up for youth ministry from about age nine. <laughs> you're just back in. The heck is going on? I'm gonna have to start wearing like a. I need. 
Do you know what's funny is is we were just talking about how we're going to get some new microphones with spit guards, oh, and we actually said, "Oh, we won't need those." You advise them, but it turns face. out you have become like. Do you remember Bob Carroll cheese? I'm not spitting at the mic. I'm spitting at you. Sorry. Do you remember Bob Carroll cheese? No, no you? you do from the 1980s I'm sure from Saturday I Evening TV. Oh, yes, okay. Bob Carroll cheese had a little dog. Oh yeah. Called Spit the Dog. Oh yeah. And Spit the Dog is just spit on people. That's what you are. I am spit the dog. Sorry. Anyway, so come come back to your definition. anybody anybody who got the Bob Carroll cheese reference, please can you let us know? Um, <laughs> anyway, um, I can't remember what I was saying. You were saying about what upper age? Oh yeah. So uh, so probably not nine, ten, eleven. You're warming them up. So I think yeah. it's a really healthy thing to to do children's so ministry transition. that looks a bit like youth ministry. Yes. So it's not a big shock. And then I think it's really important that we continue to invest in and care for and pastor and hand on young people mm. into those kind of early, either student years mm. or early years of work. Mm. Absolutely. So no, mm. I don't, I don't, I'm not worried about the little transitions. No, it's good. It's fine. It? So my, it was a really interesting experience because I was on Freshers' Fair, tables, advertising, try church advertising, come on students, you'll do all sorts of things at uni, why didn't you give Jesus a go kind of stuff. And I wasn't sure what I was going to receive or how people would take that. But interestingly, it just confirms, I suppose, lots of what we're saying and the real opportunities in a kind of post-Christendom setting. So these wonderful 18, 19 year olds, because our uni does lots of foundation courses, they, they are still youth group young people, um, were coming and saying, oh, what's this? And I was like, well, you know, you're gonna try loads of stuff and uni is about exploring. And do you explore the big questions about life and faith? And mostly, no, not really. But a number of them define themselves as spiritual, Wiccan, Gaia, witches, mm. so a high level of that. Or, well, why, why should I try church? And I, I went back to my little church plant community and said, next year, I want all of us on that stand because there's something really important in your own discipleship to have a fantastic 19-year-old with no grievances particularly, no experience of church, to genuinely just look you in the face and say, oh, why, why should I try church? Like, just genuinely want mm. to know. And for you to be able to answer that with no jargon, yeah. with no kind of manipulative or stupidness, like just gen just like give an answer. Mm. Like what is your deepest connection to to church? What what is that for you? So it was really profound. I found it I found it really moving actually. And these phenomenal young people. It's quite a good challenge we could all ask ourselves. Yeah. What you know, if someone's to ask me today. Why should I come to church? Why should yeah. I go to a church? What would be our best answer to that? Yeah, and we'd be flippant, probably. Yeah. We'd either be super spiritual or quite flippant. Yeah. Whereas, and so this lovely teenager that was on the stand, she was 19, I said, because I said to her after the first one, I said, I think I've really bodged that. Like, what do I say? <laughs> and she's an American. She said, just say to them, do you do community? And I was like, that's a great one. So the next person, I said, do you do community? Do you like community? She's like, yeah, I'm really lonely. And I had a really interesting wow. conversation about what family and community look like. But the lovely thing about Preston is, as well as these wonderful students, I also hang out in like lo local little cafes because I'm a raging extrovert with very dear elderly people who are desperately oh, lonely. not you and the elderly again. 94-year-old man who says, and he's become a really good friend, his name is James Bond. No, yeah. it's not. Yeah. He's pulling That's your he's leg. Like, I don't care, I still call him James Bond. And he said to me, I don't do church, don't do faith, but I'm so lonely, I might do family. Aww. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful man. So there we go. Rachel Gardner giving hope <laughs> to the older generation. Wow. <laughs> yeah, hey. So we've got, uh, we've got a, a, a really interesting, but very short yes. 
interview Hence now. Hence us waffling on like nobody's There's more business. waffle today. There's even more waffle than normal. Even than usual. But we're going to open up a really fascinating topic, which I think a lot of people probably have tuned in, mm. hoping to, to get some insight it. on. And instead they've heard you it's spitting great, on my face. <laughs> some great facts about Preston. And some facts about Preston. <laughs> often at the same time. Uh, so let's move on to that now. So, uh, so this is you talking to one of the only two people to appear on the Youthscape podcast three times. Three? Oh my goodness, Ali, this is your third time, hat trick. That's it. If you appear on the Youthscape podcast three times, you, uh, you're not allowed anymore, that's yeah. it. In fact, you're incarcerated for the rest of your life. <laughs> so this is when I caught up with Ali Campbell to talk about the latest research that he's been conducting into the experiences of youth ministers. And this is his little insight into the findings. It's the Youthscape podcast. <laughs> so Ali, a while ago you came on the podcast to share with us about some research that you were about to undertake and it's now happened, but there's an embargo as you and I speak on the findings, but when people are listening, hopefully it'll be out there. Could yeah. you just bring us up to speed and give us some headlines and what you found? Okay, so just taking for example, time served for youth and children's families workers, um, 34% had said they'd been in post less than two years. So just in terms of where people are at, not necessarily ministry full stop, but in terms of the place they're in, there's quite a lot of people that are fairly new to the environments where they're serving. 50% of our salaried workers have only been in salaried ministry for less than five years. So that's half have only been doing it for five years wow, in, in terms of salaried ministry. So largely people that took part in the survey are fairly new to their role and fairly new to youth ministry and being paid for youth and children's work full stop. Yeah, so I little codgers like you and me. Well, having said <laughs> that, 24% have been in salaried ministry for longer than a decade. Okay, okay. So I would, I would say that I think it's fairly representative broadly yeah. of who's doing youth work and children's work. Uh, we had a really good proportion of about 70% were Anglican who filled it in, or rather working for Anglican churches, because it doesn't mean you are an Anglican. We won't get into that, but anyway. Um, and then the rest were a mixture of Methodist, Baptist, free church, all sorts of different combos. And I guess, relatively speaking, that would go with who employs the most. Okay. So, again, I think fairly representative okay. of where we're at. Now, you you were commissioned to do this bit of research. We're going to talk about that a bit in a minute. What happens next? But can you just how are you reading the results? What what is are there any surprises in this for you? Um, I guess one which I'm delighted about, but I kind of was surprised was. When they were asked the question, how many of you would be in salaried children's youth or family ministry until retirement if you could, 75% said they would like to be. Wow. Which They'd like to stay put right through the end of their yeah, working life. would like okay. to be in it okay. for, Good. for the long haul. Excellent. Excellent. So, I mean, that's exciting. I mean, that, yeah. that says to me, for most of our workers, they see this as a lifelong calling, not a job to do before they do something else. So there's a challenge there for the church to think, well, how do we enable them to flourish in ministry right through? Are we creating roles for people in their 40s, 50s, 60s who still see youth and children's work as their heart and their passion and what God's given them to do? 
Um, and that's a question I guess the church has to reflect on and think about. Um, that for me is a biggie. And any of the results sort of give you cause for concern? What's made you go, has, that, has anything concerned you that you hadn't anticipated? Um, I guess not that I hadn't anticipated. Part of the reason I did the survey was there were concerns I already had. So I guess, you know, some of that was around people having effective line management and support, um, being enabled to do their job. Um, there's a difference between employing somebody and then giving them all the tools they need to do it effectively. So I felt for some, they just weren't having that. Um, there is no standard nationally for local churches around how they provide decent terms and conditions for their salaried workers. So there's basic employment law, which applies to everybody, but in terms of what do we need to put in place, I just, I just didn't feel that for many they had what they needed to flourish. Um, and some of the results sort of bore that out. You know, It's a bit like Marmite, some felt we're hugely encouraged, I'm really supported, my team is great. Others really lacking support. They feel like they're on their own yeah. in ministry, despite the fact they're in a team and they've mm-hmm. got a church leader mm-hmm. and are struggling. Mm-hmm. Um, very few that kind of were non-committal. So it was either this amazing or this is the worst yes. thing ever. And I guess we, we tend to respond to stuff because we have either a great experience to share or something that is really challenging that we want to change. So this, this piece of research is part of a bigger bit of work that you're doing. How, how can we be praying that this brings about you? What, what can we be praying for you as you condense this and seek to change decisions made at quite a high level? What can we be praying for you? Um, I guess that I don't just let it be someone else's thing because I've done the work. So I guess in terms of enabling people to contribute mm. and shouting about it, um, trying to be an advocate, mm. I don't want to think, well, someone else is going to do it now. So in some ways, keeping an eye on whether yes. the things we've said we'd like to see yes, Sally, that's it. happen. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so I've got great confidence in what's already been said by particularly Bishop Martin who's the Bishop of Leicester um, and he's enabled the survey to happen so huge thanks to him and he's responsible certainly in the Church of England for the development of lay ministry and I know there's conversations around how do we enable salaried ministry to flourish what more can we do and what do the results show us we need to pay attention to I guess in the wider church, I'd love to see those responsible for this in Baptist, Methodist, Free Church, have a look at this when it comes out and not just think it's not for us, but see that everybody who's contributed, you know, Church of Scotland, about 20 people fill it in who work for Church of Scotland churches. So it'd be really helpful if everybody has a look and thinks what can we learn from this that we need to think about in our own denominational Love it. Ali, thank you. As you can hear, dear friends, we're in a coffee shop and the music has started, so we're going to switch off now. And Ali, it might be one in the afternoon, but we're going to have a boogie. Are you ready? We are. You are going to dance. Yeah. Space. yeah, you are. You are. Here we go. One, two, three. So, Rachel, um, extreme extroversion yeah, in did. a coffee shop. And he did dance. Rears its head again. Did he? Yeah, the police were called. It was not right. very nice.
So that was you and Ali. <laughs> yes, in and in the background, a guy who sounded annoyingly like me. That wasn't me. <laughs> Actually, a little plug. It was Jonah's Coffee Shop in Preston, run by my nephew. Ah, oh. very good, very good. Maybe not that annoying then. Sorry. <laughs> so um, I just thought it'd be good to yeah. chat through some of the headline findings of, of Ali's research. And first of all, it's really important to say it's great that this has happened. Mm-hmm. That this has been done. People have taken it really seriously. There were a lot of people who got involved in the research. The numbers of participants was, yeah. was high and therefore it makes the research much more robust. And, uh, and it's great to have like a sponsoring bishop and diocese that got behind this. So well done yes. uh, to the Diocese of Leicester yeah. and to Bishop, bishop Martin, Martin Snow, Snow yeah. who's led on that. So, um, so well done. So we've got some numbers to chat through. So 34% of the people that Ali spoke to had been in post for less than two years. So that's quite a big number, isn't it? That's a third of the workforce in, in paid youth work have been in post less than two years. So that means we've got quite a young and inexperienced workforce, really. Do you think highly trained? Are these? Do you think these are... Do we know much about their training? Because that's interesting as well, isn't yeah. it? What's the route into it for them? Well, the, I mean, the, we're, we're hearing that a lot of youth workers aren't coming in with any formal training mm. qualification, that that youth workers are being hired on the basis of calling and passion, mm-hmm. which have always been great qualifiers, mm-hmm. but um, but sometimes without any training as well, mm-hmm. which which is which is tricky, isn't it? Because how do you know whether what you're doing is the right thing? Yes, yes. And I wonder how long they'll stay as well, because I suppose that one of the stats we've always had banded around youth ministry is like 18 months is the classic amount of time you stay mm. in one place. Yep. But one thing we're sort of seeing is that it's the amount of time you stay in the role in youth ministry full stop, because actually often it's such a difficult experience. Yeah. So that's interesting, because that ties in quite neatly to yes. the other stat that comes yep. out of this. Which half, half have only been in, in salary ministry for, for five years or less. So it is a young uh, a workforce, young or is uh, certainly in terms of how long they've been in this career, uh, it's young. So uh, 50% are... Now, they, I think there's a bit of an encouragement to me there that 50% have been in over yes, five years. In yes. fact, if I'd had to hazard a guess, I would have thought this number would have been higher. Okay. I, I actually would have thought that, that, that we wouldn't have had as many as 50% of the salary workforce who'd been around for a long time. Mm. So I do actually think there's some encouragement in that mm. number, but also, again, with that, you've got quite a, mm. quite a young workforce. And do you see that, because obviously you run the National Youth Ministry Weekend, you, you are at spaces where, and we at Youthscape have lots of folk come here to yeah. access training. Does that, would you say that equates what we see? Anecdotally. We look, yeah, and we look across the room. Yeah, it seems about right. Yeah. Um, I think we, we are generally um, dealing with a younger employed demographic. Um, and then uh, quite a lot, characteristically, a lot of the older people involved in youth ministry are volunteers. Of course, there's lots and lots of exceptions to that. Um, but, um, but, but primarily, I think that, that the, the, the employed workforce is younger mm. and the volunteer youth uh, workforce and is what, older. And why would you say that, that is? Is that always going to be the nature of the beast? No yeah, way? there's a whole bunch of reasons, isn't there? I mean, one of the big things that comes out in this and that we've, you know, lots of people have, have talked about already is employment conditions and so if you want to stay in youth work for an amount of time there's going to be a cost quite soon especially if you want to own a home you might want to get married start a family there's all sorts of things that you want to do you want to get on the property ladder Mm. uh, because there isn't a formal structure that allows you to have any sort of security Mm. you know at the moment in terms of housing Um, so um, so there's a sort of necessity 
to to get out of youth ministry because we all know what the salaries are mm-hmm. in, in youth work. So I think that's part of the part of the picture is that. And then I think there's lots of um, brilliant people who a bit later in life hear the call to youth ministry. So I've, I'd lead a team at uh, my church in, in Reigate and a lot of the people who are now volunteering and giving quite a lot of time sacrificially to uh, the youth ministry are, are older people. I've got a guy who's an architect, a guy who's a, um, a tutor, academic tutor. We've got a, a woman who's a mental health nurse. We've got another woman who was in marketing. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and these people didn't go through the youth ministry training route or anything mm-hmm. like that. So, so a lot of the volunteer workforce have kind of done something else first and then heard the call mm. to, to get involved in youth ministry. Mm. It's interesting, isn't it, when we think about how long people are in youth ministry, what that means, do they see it as a calling, as a vocation, as a career? Mm. I mean, it feels like what this research, in a way, I've not read it in, in great depth, and I'm not a great analyst, but it's interesting to sort of see where all the kind of the plates intersect, because if you have quite a young workforce who are fairly inexperienced, then this desire that we have for them to be perceived as senior leaders in their churches or their organisations, that plays into Mm -hmm. that, doesn't it? And yet we need youth workers to be seen as senior leaders to really shift the power balance Mm -hmm. and and make influence. And yet we're seeing people older in life coming into a job. But that's interesting as well. Is it because they've had their career elsewhere and actually are not needing this to be the career ladder kind of job? Actually, I've just got such a heart. And I'm now... Maybe this is the wrong thing to say. I'm now financially stable that I could take that that leap. I have a partner who is earning X amount, so I mm. now can do this. There's lots of really interesting yeah. questions. I don't think there are too many people who are actually doing that. I don't know if there are a lot of people who are who are do, earning money in a career mm. and then stepping out into youth ministry. Mm. I think it's more that they they decide perhaps after their children are a little bit older, um, if they have children that they might um, uh, decide to invest quite a lot of their spare time or their volunteer mm. hours in youth work. Mm. So I think there's an interesting stat as well that um, that 75% of the people Ali spoke to said they'd love to be in youth ministry until they retired. Mm. That is a wacky it's stat, massive. isn't it? On a lot of, because, because we're de- now dealing with a generation who will probably, I think on average, um, do 14 different jobs mm. or something in their yes, lives. I think yeah. that was the stat. And be working to their 75. Yeah. yeah. And so and so for somebody to think, no, I'm going to be in yeah. this career. And if I could, I'd do this until the day yes. I, I die, basically. Which has a lot about calling and vocation, doesn't it? It does. It's a real it does. sign of hope. And actually. really exciting. Yeah. But, um, but most people feel like, in the end they can't do that and you hear lots and lots of people say I wanted to stay in youth ministry but in the end like it just didn't make sense to do that and there's various reasons for that some some people decide um, that they actually just don't relate well to young people anymore and that's Mm -hmm. fine if you feel Mm -hmm. that Um, some people decide that actually they need to get into a leadership position that pays a decent salary it gives them a house Mm. Um, and so whether that's in the Church of England or some other structure they move out of youth ministry. I mean, certainly in the free church, that stepping out of youth ministry can be into adult leadership can be quite lucrative. Mm-hmm. You know, like you can you can end up quite well paid and taken seriously and taken mm-hmm. really seriously, and you'll mm-hmm. be in the big five leaders of the church, yes, yeah. as we've discussed before. So, um, so I think there is a there's a willingness and a desire to to stay in youth work for the long term, but but it isn't happening. Yes. We do meet those people, but usually they are the exception rather than the rule. And we had one last week, didn't we, on our podcast with Wayne staying put for a very, very long time. Yeah. So 
as with all these things, like how this research is used, the narrative that is used, that is taken from it, how it's used, is so crucial, isn't it? Yeah. It's so massive. Like how, I mean, we've had a bit of experience with the Youthscape research team here. How, 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 what would you want to see for this bit of research? Well, how mm. could it be used to really influence appropriately the right, you know, the right people to get the right decisions made? Because in a way, it's raising stuff that can be dealt with. Like mm. none of this is insurmountable. Like people could be managed better. They could be resourced better. They yes. could be paid more. Yes. But there are finite resources, not yeah. infinite. So, what is the right? What would you say is the right ask? Oh gosh. Out of this. Well, lots of people have different opinions on that. Whether there's a sort of ordination route for for youth workers in the Church of England, for example, or or, or something else. Um, I saw that. Um, Writing in the Church Times, I believe, Bishop Martin Snow had actually, the way he'd applied this research is to say we need more paid youth workers. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't know if that's quite right. I don't know if that's the reading I would take from this research. I would say we need to look after the ones we have better. I think that's probably the... Yeah, yeah, I think that's Mm -hmm. probably... So we've got people already who want to give their entire lives to youth ministry. They want to, you know, in a world where you chop and change every five minutes, they want to do one calling for the rest mm. of their lives but something happens mm. that means they they don't. they don't so i think we need to work on what is the something that happens and part of that is going to be paying youth workers properly some youth workers are paid quite well like mm. we should we should name that yeah. some churches do actually do this well some churches uh, are paying a salary a, a decent salary and providing housing and they're actually like building a, a capacity for someone to stay in mm. a position for the long term some churches don't pay well mm. and you know i've seen horrendous salaries offered mm. or, or or sessional rates offered you know for people to come and do miracles mm. in a context where there are no young people no resources and you're being offered 575 an hour mm. um, and only paid for the hours that you deliver you know i mean that's crazy so um i think we need to work on employment conditions on, on management, how people are managed. One of the key reasons people drop out of youth ministry is mm. that just, I mean, you know, we, we, don't, we clearly don't teach our, our vicars and our ministers and our senior leaders to line manage youth workers very well, to understand youth ministry and what the demands of it are. So to working on all that stuff, that would be a good start, I think. Phenomenal, wouldn't Before it? we start hiring a bunch of other people into a dysfunctional yeah. system. I, I absolutely agree with you. I think in doing that, we honour and elevate the role as really serious in the mission of God, which it is, it absolutely is, it is the front line. I remember Pete Gregg on one of our podcasts that he did, you can find it in the back catalogue, but he talked about actually he can think of no greater mission field imperative than, than young people. He's like, yeah. this, we have to be doing this. But I guess that is so important because I do still feel there is... Like, can you imagine the dinner party scenario? Like, I don't know if dinner parties, I don't know if you go to dinner parties. Rachel, I don't, do you but not? It, no, I don't. Do you not go parties. to dinner parties? Not dinner parties. I go like and hang out with friends. That's great. But imagine the scenario where you're all sat around the room and you're 45, 43 my age, and everyone's saying, what do you do as a job? And you say, well, I'm a youth worker. And there's something about, mm. there's a social status about that. Like, you've not grown up. It's a job you should have grown out of. And, and I know you and I joke about pipelines and leaderships and all that kind of stuff, but there, there is a well-trodden path. Mm. You start off volunteering with the kids' work. You end up doing a bit of youth work. You might get paid for it. And then actually sometime you'll get a calling into serious leadership. And then the church gets super excited that you've gone off to college and trained. And I think that there's something about it that has to be added. That's got to be destroyed. <laughs> I, agree. I agree. I had um, 
Uh, I've got a friend who had a job um, and he was working in uh, cooking oil, you know, like um, uh, vegetable oil, olive oil. He was working in logistics for a, uh, a, a company that made those sorts of foods. And so his wife would say, when she was asked by people at the school gate, what does your husband do? She'd say, oh, he's in oil. Oh, so maybe we just need to uh, find a, an equivalent I mean, I version work. of that for youth workers. That's I don't know what it is. Great, that. that is great. That's interesting. Do you, so, I'm, I'm now really interested to know about your dream dinner party guest, but we'll get onto that later. Oh, um, so Ali, Ali um, has done a fantastic job with yes, this with this research, and, and and we applaud. And him. he won't let go of it, which I think is what's beautiful. No. He will he will persist with this until he gets some results. So it's good. Yeah, so well done. And yeah. I think more to come from him. Yeah. Watch this space, but not on this podcast, Yeah, crucially. yeah, because that's number four, isn't it? Three strikes yeah, and you're out. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> anyway, Rachel, before you go, um, you're, you're cooking dinner. Yeah. Let's say you're doing a, I don't know what you do, a lamb masaka. It's gone a bit wrong. A waddy waddy. You've set fire to something that you didn't mean I to. I set fire to my um, Who's there? The dream dinner party lineup. You've got Jason, obviously. I'm giving you Jason. No, I'm not having Jason, Jason's actually. not it's coming. It's an all-women setup. Oh. Because I want an Amy Winehouse. I'm my love of her of old and she's died sadly sadly but it would have been Amy Winehouse yeah. massively Meghan Markle who is now some oh yeah um, I would love um, there's a homeless lady on um, very close to my house called Claire I'd like her to come um, Bren Brown and um, uh, oh the fourth person's name is, is, I'll, I'll have to come back to them in a minute they'll come That's back amazing. to you've, you've thought about it. I this. have thought about it because I do think I, I, there are some women and, and men as well who I kind of think I'd love to have a little one-to-one with, with you and just walk away from the conversation wearing some of your wisdom or having been changed somehow by you mm. or somehow see what your presence in the room would, would do to these other women in mm. this conversation so I think I'd love to kind of mix together women who wouldn't normally be in the same space but would be really good at loving each other but would be very very different I'd love to see what would happen in that space Wow. maybe Rahab maybe I bring Ruth from the Old Testament in. Like, imagine Ruth and Amy Winehouse and, and Claire, the sorry, homeless lady, and Meghan Markle. Like, what an amazing dinner. You've taken my flippant what question. What an amazing dinner. Who would you, you have? You've made something wonderful out of it. I don't know. I haven't like thought it through. football players. Yeah, I would. I'd probably get a load of, like, pop stars and footballers I like. Oh, yeah. I'd go really low culture. You can't. i tell you who I'd, I'd have is Malcolm Gladwell. Oh, he'd be fast. I would love to. And, and I, I've thought, if I met Malcolm Gladwell, he just could... Could he? Could it be possible that he would find me interesting for more than about four seconds? Oh, he! I think he would because find he, anyone interesting. Yeah, he does. And what? If, but what if you're the person he doesn't find interesting? What if and you're the person who just like he moves on? I found him interesting, and then he wasn't. Yeah, imagine that. And then this happened, and you're like there, like eating some hot food or something, or yeah, going just crazy, wiping the spit off my oh, face. Oh, wiping the spit off your face. Uh, so we've had. Uh, too much of Rachel Gardner in this episode, or so I certainly have. There's, um, a, li- there's a line now on the floor. Like Martin's yeah. like, "That's your side. This is my side. No bodily fluids over this line." Thank you very much. But we uh, we do have a couple of shout outs to do. I'm just going to let that go. A uh, couple of shout outs to Rachel Gardner in Woodmanstone and Rachel Gardner in, <laughs> in North London. North London. We will have some more different ones at some point. Don't worry. Yes. So hello to you. Uh, you can support us. Uh, Patreon.com slash youthscape if you enjoy this episode uh, also um, I, I don't say this very often but if you would like to uh, give us a review on iTunes that also really helps that would be amazing. so please do that that's enough for us for goodbye <laughs>